Uh, I'm going to read uh, the passage that, I, uh, that Henry will be preaching from this morning. It's Isaiah 65, uh, verses 17 through 20. You can find that on page 624 in your pew Bibles. Hear now the word of the Lord. For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Really thankful to have the opportunity to preach the word this morning, and I hope that everyone had a great Christmas this past week. Uh, Before we begin this morning, uh, let me pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to preach your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified this morning, Father, and that you would bless your people through your word proclaimed. Uh, this morning, Father. I pray, Lord, even as we move into a new year, Father, that you would uh, give us wisdom and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. This past Christmas, I went home to my family in Indiana, and I was very excited to be home. I also felt a bit of nostalgia when I entered the state where I've spent most of my life. Even though I was born and raised in Indiana, my family is originally from the rural South. My dad's side of the family is originally from Mississippi. My mom's side of the family is originally from Southwest Arkansas. In fact, the overwhelming majority of African Americans have Southern roots like the jazz music they created. But my family moved north and participated in something that would become known as the Great Migration of African Americans out of the South. I learned about this Great Migration through an amazing book called The Warmth of Other Suns. This phenomenal book was written by the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Isabel Wilkerson. In her book, Ms. Wilkerson gives a detailed account of the Great Migration. In this book, Wilkerson shows that between 1915 to about 1970, six million African Americans left the South. When I started reading this book, I wonder why she named it The Warmth of Other Suns. To answer this question in her book, she writes, in the winter of 1919, the astronomer named Edwin Hubble working out of the University of Chicago, looked through one of the most powerful telescopes of his time. And it would prove for the first time in human history that there were other galaxies than our own, that there were in fact other suns. Isabel Wilkerson named her book The Warmth of Other Suns because she knew that African Americans fled the South in search of a new world. They were looking for a new world where they would not experience racism, lynching, and segregation. 
They longed for a new world where they would not be denigrated because of their race or ethnicity. They longed for a new world with better economic opportunities and equal opportunities. This desire for a new world with a new sun led them to pack up all they owned in search of the warmth of another sun. Have you ever longed for another world or a new world, a world without war, a world without sickness or disease, a world without theft, murder, or lying, a world without family division. Like the people who participated in the great American migration, have you ever longed for the warmth of another sun? On some level, we all long for a new and better world. In our text today, God offers us a glimpse of a new life and a new world a world far different than the world that we currently live in. Now, we are at the end of Isaiah, and God has let his people know that they will enter exile in a foreign land. This was devastating news, but in our text this morning, God gives his people hope. And this text should also give us hope this morning, because we will see that God offers us a new life and a better world. God offers us a new life and a new world. In our text this morning, we will see three things that we will have through this new life that God offers. Because you know all sermons, good sermons have three points, right? (laughs) First, we see that we will have joy without sorrow. In our new life, we will have complete joy without any sorrow. Look at verse 17 of our text this morning. It reads, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. In this verse, God lets his people know that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. God is making a promise to his people. God basically says, I promise that I will surely create a new heaven and a new earth. This promise is not only for the people of Judah, but for all people who have placed their faith in the Jewish Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus returns, he's going to eradicate all evil and sin. Then he will establish a new heaven and a new earth for his people. The joy in this new heaven and new earth is going to be so great that God's people will not remember the bad things from the past. Imagine being so overwhelmed with joy that the painful things from your past did not even come to mind. In the new heavens and new earth, you will not remember the drama in your family. You will not remember the mean comments that someone said about you behind your back. You will not remember the traumatic or devastating experiences from your life. All those things will not come to your mind. In our new life, we will have joy without any sorrow. Now, after God informs his people that he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, he gives them two commands in verse 18. Let's look back at this verse. It reads, But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. In this verse, God commands his people to be glad and rejoice This seems odd to me because God has informed his people earlier in the book of Isaiah that he is sending them into exile in Babylon. 
God is sending his people into exile for their sin and rebellion, but he still calls them to rejoice. Imagine if you lost your home, you lost all your wealth and resources, and you were shipped off into exile in Canada. But God, yeah, Canada. (laughs) But God commanded you to rejoice and be glad because one day in the future, he's going to create a new heaven and earth. This would seem unusual and a bit unreasonable, but God basically tells his people, I know you're going into exile, but I want you to rejoice. I know you're going to lose everything, but I want you to rejoice. I know that the temple in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, but I want you to rejoice and be glad because I am going to create a new heaven and new earth. I know there's some of you this morning going through difficult circumstances But we have a reason to rejoice and be glad. Despite our circumstances, God calls us to rejoice and be glad because he will create a new heaven and earth. Now, do not hear me wrong. I'm not saying that we cannot lament the difficult circumstances in our lives. When we look at the Psalms, we see godly people lamenting difficult circumstances and crying out to God for change. But in the midst of our lament, we should remember that we have a reason to rejoice and be glad because God is going to give us a new life and a better home. God doesn't just command his people to rejoice in what he's going to create. He lets his people know that he will rejoice in them. Look at verse 19 again. It reads, I will rejoice in Jerusalem. And be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. In this verse, God lets his people know that he will delight in them completely in the new heaven and earth. If you read the whole book of Isaiah, you will realize how odd this statement is because God is continually rebuking his people throughout this book. God is making it clear throughout the entire book of Isaiah that he's not delighted or happy with his people. He makes it clear that he is not pleased with Jerusalem because his people have rebelled against his word and way. This is why God is sending his people into exile in Babylon. But God lets his people know that in the new heaven and the earth, he will rejoice and delight in them completely. God will delight in his people because they will be completely freed from sin. There will be no sin or idolatry in the new heavens and earth. So our holy God can delight completely in his people. People will be completely free from sin in the new heaven and earth. You won't have to lock your doors in the new heaven and earth because there'll be no stealing. You won't have to be afraid of being attacked because there'll be no murder. You won't have to worry about opening up to people because there'll be no gossiping. People will be a complete delight because they will be completely freed from sin. God is going to glorify his people and create them to be a joy. As we move on in our text this morning, we see that we will not only be freed from sin in the new heavens and earth, but freed from the main consequence of sin. Death. Death entered the world through the sin and disobedience of our foreparents, Adam and Eve. Now every person experiences death. But in this text, God shows us that death will be no more in the new heaven and earth. Look at verse 20. It reads, No more shall there be in it. 
an infant that lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. God informs his people that his day is coming when life will not be cut short by death. This would have been good news to the people of Israel because they probably had the experience of infants who lived only a few days. And this morning, I just want to name that I know this may be someone's experience here. And this is tragic. There is something within us that tells us this is not the way it should be. God lets us know that a day is coming when this will not happen anymore because death will be no more. There won't be a child or an old person who passes away. Now, the second half of this verse is kind of confusing because it says, For the child shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. This verse is using a hypothetical situation to emphasize the reality that people will live for eternity without the presence of sin. God is basically saying if someone died at 100 years old, they would be a child. To put this in perspective, the country with the longest life expectancy is Japan. Now, this is a little trivia question. What do you think the average life expectancy is in Japan? Shout it out. <laughs> okay, I heard 87. That was close. It's about 83 years old. Despite all our advances in medicine, technology, the average person does not live to the age of 100. But in the new heaven and earth, life is so long that if someone were to pass away at 100, they would only be a child. In his commentary on Isaiah, J. Alec Motyer writes, Indeed, one would be but a youth were one to die aged 100. This does not imply that death will still be present, but rather affirms that over the whole of life, as we should now say from infancy to old age, the power of death will be destroyed. Simply put, there will be no death in the new heaven and new earth. Now, we will not only be completely free from sin, but also free from the presence of sin as well. We will live for eternity without the presence of sin. We know this because of the ending of verse 20, which again reads, And the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. There will not be sin in the new heaven and earth, but even if there was a sinner there, they would still be under the curse of death and pass away. Even if they lived to a hundred, they would still be under the curse and face death. So the presence of sin will be completely gone. In this verse, we see that we will have joy without the sorrow brought by sin and death. And I don't know about you, but I long for the day when there will be no death. I long for the new heaven and earth where sin and death will be no more. I am tired of seeing life be cut short in this world. I remember a few weeks ago, I was watching the news and there was a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl who died at the U.S. border due to dehydration. 
And I, as I was listening to this story on my couch in my apartment, I instantly started crying because she was so young. Her life was cut off, and this is tragic. When I hear stories like these, I lament, and it makes me long for the new heaven and earth because there we will have joy without sorrow. But in this new life, we will not only have joy without sorrow. Secondly, we will also have work without futility. This morning in our text, we see that we will have work without futility. Let's look at verse 21 and 22 of our text. It reads, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. In verse 21, God shows us that there will be work in the new heaven and earth. Some popular level depictions of our new life make it seem like we will not work in the new heavens and earth, but this is false. When Jesus returns and creates the new heaven and earth, we, his people, will have work. We will create and cultivate the place where we live, but we will not have the futility that accompanies work in a fallen world. We will fully enjoy the things produced by our labor. We will have complete fulfillment in our work. Now, in verse 22 of our text, we see that one of the main reasons work is often futile in a falling world is because we do not get to enjoy the fruit of our labor. In the beginning of verse 22, God says to the prophet Isaiah that no longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. This would have been good news to the people of Judah because they were about to go into exile. They had built homes, but another person was going to live in them. They had planted plants, but another person was going to enjoy the fruit of their labor. This is the nature of life when a people is overtaken by another people. The people of Judah did not get to fully enjoy the fruit of their labor. Thus, they felt like their labor was in vain. Now go here with me for a second. When I think about people building houses and others living in them or planting and other people eating, I think about the experience of many Native Americans in the United States. Now most of us are descendants of people who migrated to the U.S. in the past three centuries. But prior to this migration, indigenous people groups were already settled in what would become the United States. They built homes and planted plants for food. Before Kansas City became Kansas City, the Shawnee people, a Native American group, was in this land. But many indigenous people were forced off their land by more recent migrants. And I learned about this in a book I read this past summer called Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys by the Native American theologian Richard Twist. In this book, Twist writes, For indigenous communities, identity and land are closely connected, often inseparable. Many First Nations people or Native Americans have lost their land completely. Their self-identities, which are tied up with place their land, have diminished along with the loss of land. This quote highlights the reality that Native Americans built homes 
and planted plants, but they did not get to enjoy the fruit of their labor fully because they were forced from the land. Like the Israelites, they experienced exile from their home. They experienced the futility that comes with building homes and planting plants that you do not get the opportunity to enjoy. Now, many of us have not experienced physical exile, but we all experience some level of futility in work. I have even felt the futility of work as a pastor. I remember one day I was writing this long email and it was perfect. I had bolded everything that needed to be bolded. I had checked for grammar errors and I had the editing king, Paul Brandis, read over it for me. Then I stepped away from my computer for a moment and when I came back, I went to my draft emails to send out this email and I realized that I had deleted the draft. I know, it was horrible. <laughs> in that moment, I felt futility in my work. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt emptiness in your work? Or do you sometimes feel like you can't fully enjoy the fruit of your labor? Our text this morning shows us that the day is coming where we no longer will feel futility in our work. Let's look at verse 23 of our text. It reads, They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. God lets his people know that their labor will no longer feel pointless in the new heaven and new earth. And this promise applies to us in Christ Jesus. When we enter the new heaven and earth, we will be freed from the emptiness of our work. We will enjoy the unending blessing. We will enjoy unending blessing through Jesus Christ. I encourage you to let this truth give you the hope to continue to persevere through the struggles that you endure in your work now. Because in the new heaven and earth, there will be no mean bosses. In that place, women will not get paid less money than men for the same work. In that place, people will not be exploited through unjust labor practices. In that place, people will not try to take advantage of you and your work. In that place, people will not face discrimination in their work because of their ethnicity, race, or gender. Now we live in a fallen world where everything is negatively impacted by the presence of sin, including our work. But the day is coming where we will have work without futility. But this is not all we will have in our new life. We will not only have joy without sorrow or work without futility, we will also have peace without division. Peace without division. Look at verse 24 of our text this morning. It reads, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. In this verse, God lets his people know that in the new heaven and earth, he will answer their prayers before they even call upon his name. This will be a reality in our new life because we will have complete intimacy with our creator God. There will no longer be any division between us and God because we will be completely freed from sin. In order 
to answer someone before they even call, there has to be a high level of intimacy, right? And I know this from experience because growing up, my parents gave me chores to do at the house and my parents wanted me to do my chores before they even asked me. They wanted me to take out the trash before they called on me to do it. They wanted me to do the dishes before they called me from my room. They wanted me to cut the grass before they even called on me to do it. And if I were honest, I often didn't fulfill their expectations. This at times frustrated my parents. They often would tell me, if you see the grass is long, just cut it. Or if you see the trash is full, just take it out. But in my defense, I couldn't read their minds. But in the new heaven and earth, our all-knowing God will answer our call before we even open our mouth because we will experience complete intimacy and peace with God without any division. We will have complete peace in our new life. And we see this in the last verse of our text this morning. Look at verse 25, it reads, The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. In our new life, the lamb and wolf will eat together. And this probably seems odd to us, because if a wolf and lamb are together in our current world, the lamb will most likely get eaten by the wolf. Wolves also tend to hunt in packs, so they could easily overtake a lamb for meat. But in our new life, there will be complete peace. So things that usually have division will be at peace. In the new life, we see this image of lions, lions eating hay. And in this verse, it's really pointing to this reality that we're going to have peace in the new heaven and earth. There will not be war or division between animals or people. At the end of this verse, God lets us know that there will be no destruction or violence in our new life. People will no longer harm one another. There will be complete peace. In seminary, I had a close friend by the name of Joshua. My friend Joshua is from South Korea, and throughout seminary, I would pray with him. I always looked forward to praying with my brother Josh because he was a prayer warrior. He prayed for an extended time every day, and he would often tell me that he was praying for the reunification of North and South Korea. He continually prayed for his brothers and sisters in North Korea facing persecution under a broken government. He prayed continually that the divisions between North and South Korea would be broken so that he could go in and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in an area where Christianity is often suppressed. He also longed to go into North Korea to help the people suffering under a corrupt regime. Josh continually prays for peace without division in Korea. Have you ever longed for peace without division? We live in a fallen world with the division. In our world, we have so many long-standing divisions. We have the Israel, Israeli and Palestinian divide. We have the long-standing division between Shia and Sunni Muslims. Even in our country, we have divisions. We have political divisions between Republicans and Democrats. We have divisions along racial and ethnic lines. We also have economic and ideological divisions. 
And sadly, we even have divisions within the church of Jesus Christ. We have ethnic and even denominational divisions in our church. We live in a divided world where groups seem to be perpetually in conflict with one another. But in our text this morning, we see that the day is coming when we will finally have world peace. We will have no division. In our new life, groups that were opposed to one another will have peace. For example, Kansas City Chief fans will eat together with Charger fans. And as hard as it is to believe, KU fans will have complete peace with K-State fans. Canadians, Mexicans, and the people of the United States will fellowship together. There will be no walls of division between us. We will have complete peace. I don't know about you, but I long for the day when we will have peace without division. Because over the holiday, I went home see my family in Indiana, and it was a great time, but we had plans to go visit some of my extended family in another part of Indiana, and we decided not to go because of some long-standing division between some family members. And this was disappointing to me because I wonder why couldn't there just be peace? Why does there have to be this division in my family? And I know that many of you also have long-standing division in your family that can make the holiday season less than ideal. But the day is coming when all division will be gone. In our new life, there will be no division in our family. There will be no division at our job. There will be no division between ethnic groups and nations. In our new life, we will have complete peace with no division. We won't need homeland security because there will be peace. Now, some of you may be thinking, Henry, I get it. At the return of Jesus Christ, he will create a new heaven and earth for us and give us a new life, a life with joy without sorrow, a life with work without futility, and a life with peace without division. But what does that do for me today? Some of you may be thinking, how should this new life to come shape the life I live now? Well, I can best answer this question through a brief illustration. As we move on into a new year, I've had some time to reflect on this past year, and as I've reflected on 2018, I've realized that one of my favorite moments from this year was going to see the epic film Black Panther. Now, prior to 2018, I had never seen a movie more than once in theaters, but this past year, I watched Black Panther four times in theaters. Yeah, four times. And I absolutely love this film. I instantly became a fan of the character T'Challa, who was the Black Panther. And Black Panther became my favorite character in the Marvel Universe. Now, after Black Panther, there was another Marvel film release called Infinity Wars. And this movie included all the heroines and heroes from the Marvel Universe, but I mainly watched the film because I wanted to see the characters from Black Panther. <laughs> After I finished watching Affinity Wars, I was depressed because something tragic happened to the Black Panther. Now, I won't spoil it for you, for those who haven't seen the film yet, but I left the theater distraught because of what happened to the Black Panther. 
But thankfully, my friend Andrew, who loves Marvel movies, let me know that I had no need to worry. My friend Andrew let me know that the actor who played Black Panther was already under contract to do a second Black Panther film. <laughs> Along with all the other main actresses and actors in the film. So due to this reality, Andrew let me know that what happened to Black Panther and Infinity Wars would have to be undone. When I realized that the story was gonna end well, I instantly felt less distraught and it put the Black Panther's current situation in perspective. In a higher and holier way, God does for us in this text what my friend Andrew did for me. He shows us how the story's gonna end. And now that we know how the story ends, it can give us the strength to persevere and make us less distraught in our present circumstances. Since we know the ending, we know that trouble will not last always. You will not always have sorrow. You will not always have issues and stress from work. You will not always have division and conflict in your family. God offers us a new life and a better home. This current world we see is not all that there is or ever will be. But we live in a world where it often feels like this world is all there will be. I do not know about you, but at times I despair because it feels like sorrow will get the, get the final word. It feels like pain, futility, and division will never end. But God shows us in this text that sin and death will not get the final word. God shows us that division and futility will not have the final word. God offers us a new life and a better home. This was good news to the people of Judah because they were going into exile. And it should be good news to us today in our exile. For the Christian, this earth is not our final home. God has a better home for us, a place with joy without sorrow, a place with work without futility, a place with peace without division. And we are able to enter this new world because the God-man, Jesus Christ, entered our world. This past week, we just celebrated the birth of our Savior. Jesus came to the earth and lived the perfect sinless life we could never live. Then at the cross on Calvary, he took our sorrow from death upon himself to give us new life. He took our sin upon himself and was invited from God, his Father, to give us peace with God. We can truly experience the warmth of another son through God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And we cannot enter this new world through being a good person. God is not like Santa Claus. We cannot garner the gift of new life through being a good person. In order to gain this new world, we have to turn from our sin and place our hope in Jesus alone. Through Jesus, we will go to a new world without sorrow, futility, death, and division. Through Jesus Christ, we have a new life and a far better home. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you uh, for offering us a new life, Lord, and a better world, Father. And I pray that you would give us the grace to even meditate on this as we move into a new year, Lord, just to remember that there is a day coming when there will be no more sorrow and futility and division, Lord, that we will have peace with you, Lord. Just help us remember that, Lord. And meditate on that and believe in that promise and that hope, Lord, in the midst of the circumstances that we face in this coming year, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.